and the projected job growth for that, what would your guess be? For nurses? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's got to be going up. Think about all the obesity in this country. We don't do anything healthy. That's crazy. If only you didn't eat so much fast food. Well, I want to contribute to the economy. Right. I want to make sure that there's jobs for nurses for Mm -hmm. a long time. Doing your part. Uh Uh-huh. Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Today we are tackling a particularly musical episode of a show that has been around for like over 30 years, The Simpsons. Robert, how do you feel about The Simpsons? Have you seen tons and tons of them? So, no joke. The episode that we're doing, it's season 33, episode 22, Poor House Rock. That is the first Simpsons episode I have sat through in its entirety. I've seen brief clips over the years. I remember being a child, visiting family, and having it on in the background, but not actually watching. This seriously is the first Simpsons episode I've ever watched. That is something. That is very unusual. I feel like most people roughly our age were pretty into The Simpsons when we were younger, like in high school age. I think it's generally fallen a lot in popularity. It's not nearly as big as it was in its heyday. But that show has been on the air since 1989. It's pretty wild. It's got some definite staying power. They have put out 728 episodes. This one that we are doing today is... The very last one of those, the 728th, but I think it's going to keep going. There's no signs of slowing down. Yeah, I saw that they are committed to a 34th season, so it's keeping rolling. There we go, at least one more. So my favorite fact about The Simpsons is that Bart, who is the son, the little boy in the family. All right, I, I do know enough about The Simpsons. You don't have to tell me the family tree. <laughs> do you know who voices Bart Simpson? A lady? That is correct, yeah. It is a woman named Nancy Cartwright. She does a ton of voiceover work, but I think Bart Simpson is by far her most famous character. So just always put the smile on my face that it's like this older woman behind the face of this little boy. It's pretty great. It's amazing what she can do. I still associate Bart Simpson with Butterfinger commercials. Yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, that was. that's really the mo- That's where I've seen him on TV the most. So I think we should go ahead and delve straight into the episode because there's a ton of really intense content to cover. I think we can do just a super brief plot summary. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of plot in this episode. The way it starts is the family goes to church and Bart is bad-mouthing the hell out of Homer. And Homer happens to hear it and it hurts his feelings. And he decides that he's going to show Bart that he really is a good dad, that he's a winner, that he's not just the loser that Bart thinks he is. And so he takes Bart to work and shows him a bit more about what his daily life is like. Yeah, and then from there, Bart decides that his dad actually does have a pretty cool job based mostly on the fact that Homer doesn't actually seem to need to do anything at his job. Free donuts (laughs) or or, uh, donuts that you're supposed to pay for that he does not. Exactly. So Bart decides that he wants to be just like dad And then from there, it moves into this whole social commentary on how the middle class is shrinking and Bart will never be lucky enough to have this cushy 
middle-class job like his dad does. So there's a lot of great money lessons that we can take away from this show. I think we should go ahead and dive right into our first clip. This is Homer and Bart going home after they've been at Homer's office together. And Bart just happened to go with Homer to work on payday. So Homer got his paycheck and he does not take it to a bank. Instead, he takes it to a check cashing facility. Let's listen to the two of them going to this check cashing place. Give it to me in singles. Minus the 8.5% check cashing fee. I didn't ask for your life story. And here's what makes it all worthwhile. Oh, you get all that every week? Every two weeks. Uh, so Homer goes and brings it back to the car and makes it rain for Bart, and he is excited about all that cash. Yeah, it's a lot of $1 bills. He was serious. He got it in $1 bills. So there's a couple things that I think are really interesting about this clip. Uh, the first is obviously he's taking it to a check cashing place and not to a bank. So as we mentioned, this show has been on the air for like 35 plus, 30 plus years. It's the 33rd season. 33rd season. 33 years. And Homer has had the same job throughout the entirety of it. Now it is kind of like they're kind of frozen in time. Nobody ages in the show. But he seems to be presented as like this is a job he's had for a really long time. So if that's the situation that you're in, you should definitely have some kind of direct deposit set up. You should not be relying on a check cashing place. Those kinds of facilities are designed they exist specifically to rip you off they are taking a huge percentage like we hear in the clip of your money that should otherwise belong to you yeah it's eight and a half percent is what they're taking away that seems like a little bit more than the standard checking account fees at a traditional bank yeah i mean to deposit a check into a normal bank costs nothing it's absolutely nothing the only kinds of fees that you might potentially be paying or like overdraft fees, maybe an annual fee if your balance falls below a certain dollar amount, depending on your banking institution. But generally speaking, banking is free or very, very close to free. Yeah. And if he's paying cash, if, if he's getting his check cash at a check cashing place, that presumably means he doesn't have a bank account, which means he's incurring all kinds of other costs, right? Utility bills, uh, most anything that you can't pay directly with cash, he's going to have to get a money order from somewhere in order to go pay for it. Like there's a lot of unnecessary extra transactional costs that are going to come without having the convenience of a traditional bank account. 5% of Americans are quote unbanked, meaning they do not have a formal bank account set up, which is a pretty small percentage, but that's still, you know, over a, like 11 million people that are without any kind of banking relationship whatsoever. And as you were just saying, that does come with a lot of costs, including most especially these check cashing fees. This is a really high cost that you're paying. So in the clip, they talk about it being 8.5%. That's actually kind of low. The national average is 9.36%, and it can go all the way up to 16%. So that's an enormous amount of your paycheck to just be frittering away for absolutely nothing in return yeah you could even if you don't want to do direct deposit you could just set up a traditional bank account 
and pay them whatever their monthly fee is to have access. It can't be that expensive. It can't be eight and a half percent of his paycheck expensive. No, it is 100% not going to be anywhere close to that expensive. So I do understand why these places exist because people sometimes need cash right away. There's no time to wait. Well, they just can, they can call J.G. Wentworth, right? They can call J.G. Wentworth if you <laughs> need cash now and you have a structured settlement. But no, for, for like a typical paycheck that you have, if you want it immediately, a check cashing place will do that for you. Whereas a traditional bank is usually going to have a waiting period because they're not willing to take the risk that the check is going to bounce. These check cashing places are willing to take that risk because they charge you such a high percentage fee. So if you know that that check is going to go through and you have any option of waiting just a couple of days for that check to clear through a normal banking institution, that is 100% what you should be doing. These check cashing places are just out to rip you off. Are there are there very many of these that operate as only a check cashing place or a lot of them also payday lending type places too? I think that's pretty common, which is another predatory practice that preys on people who, you know, need cash in a hurry. So it's, you know, the unfortunate reality, it costs more to be poor in this country. People take advantage of the fact that you get into crisis situations and you need cash right away. Well, all you youngsters out there getting your first jobs, go get a bank account. It's not hard. It's not scary. It's a lot easier than waiting in the line at the check cashing place, I'm sure. So we see Bart. He's excited about all these dollar-dollar bills that Homer gets paid. And he comes to a realization that maybe his dad isn't so bad after all. I never thought about it, but Homer makes enough to pay for this awesome crib. Two cars with enough left over to fill the freezer with three kinds of French fries. Waffle, curly, and steak cut. Dad, all these years, I thought you were just some uncool roommate that I got stuck with. Now I realize you're a winner. And that's why I want to be a nuclear safety inspector. Wow. Bart has some uh, career direction. He knows where he's going to go in life. He does. This is a big moment for little Bart. He's figured out what he wants to do with the rest of his life, which is a pretty big step. For a kid that young. I don't know how old Bart is supposed to be. I'm guessing like 10 to 12, somewhere in there. I don't know. It's hard to guess the the age of a fictional yellow cartoon character. Um, But I'm going to say that's roughly right. So that's a big deal for a kid to have made that kind of decision. So he's going to be a nuclear safety inspector. Is this a a promising career? Is he going to get paid all kinds of money? Is he, is he going to have job opportunities wherever he wants to live? So first of all, it is a real job. <laughs> it's a thing that one can do with one's life to be a nuclear safety inspector. It generally requires an associate's degree to hold this position. So not a full-blown bachelor's degree, which is a bonus for a lot of people. And the average salary it pays is $66,000. So that's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's a That puts you squarely in the American middle class, and you can afford to have a pretty decent life. Now, we're going to talk about why that's stretching thinner and thinner as we get deeper into the episode, but it's, you know, a prospect. It is important to know that this job is on the decline. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics 
puts out estimates for every kind of career that you can imagine and whether it's going to grow with time or shrink in demand for it. Nuclear safety inspectors are going downhill. They are expecting a 12% decline between now and 2030. So they do like a roughly a decade span of predictions. So Bart seems pretty impressed that they have that fancy crib and a refrigerator full of three kinds of fries. It's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what more you can ask for out of life. However, does this nuclear safety inspector job actually provide enough to get you there? For me, yeah, I think it does, right? You're in the American middle class. You, depending on how where you live and how long you've had that home, yeah, you could likely have a, a nice place, uh, a, an acceptable car that's that's reliable and as many frozen goods as your freezer can hold. I think it's probable that they could afford their lifestyle based on the fact that they have had this home seemingly for a really long time. Oh yeah, 33 seasons. They bought it at presumably a much lower price than you can buy a house for today. In today's economy, especially as we sit here today at the tail end of May 2022, housing prices have gone up astronomically, like 20%, in some markets, it is just mind-boggling. And it is really hard for someone earning $66,000 a year to afford a single-family home in a lot of markets right now. It's It would definitely be very, very difficult where we live today. We are very fortunate that we bought this house just a couple of years before things started to just skyrocket and go through the roof. So it is a good time in America to already be a homeowner, which is very unfortunate because there's a heck of a lot of folks out there who aren't already homeowners. But I think for the Simpson family, it does make sense that they could afford this lifestyle that we see with pretty, you know, basic low-end economy cars, a nice but not crazy big fancy house, and and the kids seem to go to public school Basically, like other than their freezer full of fancy french fries, they don't have a whole lot of big expenses that we see. So I think it's fairly realistic. Okay. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that Bart decides to follow in his dad's footsteps for a career. And I, I thought about it. The two of us did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I studied electrical engineering and got into business as an energy engineer, just like my dad did. You went to law school and became a litigator, just like your dad did. I don't know. I thought that was just sort of an interesting thing, and it made me wonder: How often do do children follow in the footsteps of what their parents do? One, because they like it, or two, because they just don't they don't know what else is out there. I think that's so true. It's hard to find like, concrete numbers on this. That's not something that like gets super well tracked, but. Anecdotally, it seems to be fairly common. We all have, you know, known a lot of people who have done that. And I I think it can be really great for a lot of people, you know, especially if you're like an actor who already has a parent in the industry. You can get into that super competitive industry by getting your foot in the door with those kinds of connections. But for the average person, you know, we're just talking about like engineering, being a lawyer, you don't really need that kind of connection to to get into these careers, right? 
So I think a lot of times it does come down to just what you, what you saw, what you're comfortable with, what you know. I actually think it's kind of a, a failing, at least when we were kids, of our educational system that they don't do a better job of telling you there are thousands of different career paths, you know, like here's what they all look like. Here's a description of each one of them. Here's what you can expect to earn. Here's the job growth projections like the Bureau of Labor Statistics provides today. I think people would make different choices in a lot of cases if they had more information like that available to them. I think that makes sense. I mean, it is totally reasonable that you're going to replicate what you see an example of close up if you feel like it worked. Um, I mean, your parents directly or indirectly do a lot to shape your interests when you're a child. So if your parents are into something, then you likely will be as well if it's working out well for them. And, you know, just the same sort of personality characteristics often follow through. So it's not so unusual that people would would follow the same footsteps. But you're totally right. I feel like there wasn't a program at my high school or junior high that said, hey, here are all kinds of different career possibilities. And you should think about whether or not you have the right skill set for them. It's just very, very broad categories of things, right? It was it, it, not the litany of different possibilities that you see as an adult with all kinds of people contributing in tons of interesting and unique ways that you never knew were possible. Yeah, I just think of all the crazy, unique careers that I've heard people talk about as an adult. And I just think, I had no idea that that was a thing as a kid, you know, like, pollsters, people who dedicate their whole lives to like crafting polls and analyzing the data that comes out of it, or I don't know, audiologists is another one. Like I didn't even know that was a thing for so many years. And then I read it in an article, they have like the best job satisfaction of anybody of any career type. There's just, you know, options after options after options that most people just don't think about. So true. Well, one of the things that most people don't think about when planning out their future career is what the shape of the world is going to look like and how things have evolved. And in this episode, Lisa tells Bart, hey, like, better think this through a little bit, man. This isn't quite what you think it's going to be. And uh, it turns into this musical, the poorhouse rock version. And there's a, a guest appearance from uh, Robert Reich or Robert Reich. I'm, I'm still not sure how to pronounce that. I think they pronounce it differently in the episode. He is a former Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton, and uh, he has some thoughts about why we are where we are. The decline of unions, rampant corporate greed, Wall Street malfeasance, and the rise of short-sighted politics all contributed to increased economic inequality, widespread real unemployment, wage stagnation, and a lower standard of living for millions of Americans. They chopped salaries to raise stock prices, cut up the pie and kept all the slices. Tax breaks went to CEOs, never trickling down to every show. So it's catchy, right? It's a fun little tune. Yeah, they did a good job. But that is jam-packed with all kinds of factors that they're talking about affecting the U.S. economy and the lower standard of living. Is The Simpsons normally musical? No. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so they talk about uh, economic inequality. I think that's probably the, the strongest theme in that rattled-off list of challenges. And how... How are we looking in that department, Carla? So it is true that the middle class has shrunk pretty considerably. So in 1971, 61% of Americans were considered middle class, 14% were upper class, and 25% were lower class. Today, 
the middle class is only 50%. And some of those people went to the upper class and some of them went to the lower class. So we now have 21% in the upper class and 29% in the lower class. Are we using a definition that's kind of that typical middle class is two thirds of the median household income up to double? Yes, that's generally considered middle class. So you're looking at, depends on family size, of course, but somewhere for a single person, I think between like 30000 and $90,000 would make you middle class. Okay. Wow. That's, um, I suppose it's not surprising that some people have had some upward mobility um, and it is unfortunate, but I do live on this planet, even though I don't watch The Simpsons. And it's not surprising that there has been some downward mobility as well. One metric we can look at to figure out how things really have changed over time is the minimum wage. So today, the federal minimum wage is set at $7.25 per hour. There are a number of states who have a substantially higher minimum wage, but I looked at the list and there's still a lot of states who are rocking that federal minimum wage. That's what they're going with. So that's not a lot of money. That's not going to stretch super far. And what's interesting about it is that it has lost 40% of the value that the minimum wage had in the year 1970. So in 1970, the federal minimum wage was $1.60 an hour, but indexed to inflation in today's dollars, that would be over $12 an hour. So it's actually lost a substantial portion of its buying power. And with the rampant inflation of over 8% that we're seeing in today's environment, that's just going to be eroded more and more. You're going to be able to buy less and less with that seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah, that's wild. It makes me think back to my first job, right? I worked at an Albertsons when I was in high school in summer of 2000, I guess. And minimum wage, I think, was five fifteen in Louisiana at the time. And I remember going to Wendy's, right? Wendy's is the fast food joint. And you could get a junior bacon cheeseburger for 99 cents. I'm pretty sure that's over $3 now at Wendy's. Yeah, well, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, young me, high school student earning minimum wage, was was able to go buy not a good meal, but a (laughs) a meal that I shamefully enjoyed uh, for for less than an hour's wage uh, of work. Seems like it's almost impossible to pull that off right now. I think that's very, very accurate. Now... Of course, we would advocate, especially if you're earning minimum wage, that you really minimize the amount of fast food that you're eating. What? No way. It's so much more expensive than going to the grocery store and getting like low cost food items. You mean like when you have to get your like arteries declogged? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Robert likes fast food. That is a thing (laughs) that we deal with in this household. So we're not going to go through this whole litany of factors as to what has led to this pretty significant erosion of buying power over time and this lower standard of living, but it is definitely a real phenomenon. Whatever your political affiliations may be, you probably have different opinions on what has led to this turn of events and how we can dig out of it. But I think everybody agrees it is certainly a thing that is happening. Okay. This is, it makes me think, right? Back in the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes, he had the prediction that we have so much of an improvement in productivity over the last, I don't know how many years that he predicted, what, in the, some years in the future, 10 or 20 years, people would 
only need to work 15 hours a week in order to have their basic needs met. And it's just kind of funny that we sit here today and we, we look at the fact that people are working 40 hours a week if they can find that much employment at minimum wage or more if, if at all possible. And it comes pretty short of meeting what we would consider today as meeting your basic needs. So how, how could such an economist be so far off? I think he failed to take into account how much of their self-worth people get out of being busy and that it just was a cultural shift that for a number of reasons people just didn't want to make. They didn't want to be kicking back and, you know, doing all of the things that one can do when you have lots of free time, right? You can exercise more, you can cook more, you can read more. All of those things, I think, sound lovely in theory to a lot of people, but when it comes right down to it, they would rather be, you know, bragging about how busy they are at the office and putting in those long hours, and people get a lot of their self-worth out of that, and it's hard to to tear that away from folks. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it is just the way that a capitalistic market is going to drive. People are, are, as productivity gains are there, people are going to recoup, you know, their their portion of that and, and try to exploit it. Exploit sounds a little bit dirty, but they're going to try to get leverage off of it. And that's what has ultimately happened. And so cost of goods has continued to rise, cost of housing, cost of essentials. It's unfortunate. No question. Things are getting more expensive. <laughs> it's very clear. So we heard Robert Reich's opinion about this. I think Lisa gives a little bit of a lesson to Bart next. She does. Let's listen to Lisa Simpson rap for us. Yo, all I need is a foot in the door, and I'll take Dad's job when he does it 44. That job you see now needs a PhD, while paying student loans leaves you in poverty. What? No brand new car, no, no fancy house, no hot dinners cooked by your stay-at-home spouse. Yeah. You're gonna pinch every dollar and cent, and you'll still have to choose between healthcare and rent. Oh, Lisa, you go, girl. She's she's wrapping her little heart out there. It's pretty strong. A couple interesting things about this clip. So she says, you're going to need a PhD to do this thing that dad does. I don't think that's accurate. It's certainly not accurate as we sit here today. As we said, nuclear safety tech is a job that you can get with an associate's degree today. So no PhD required. I suppose maybe what she's talking about is in the future when things become more and more automated, there's a robot that will do what Homer can do, which, you know, the running gag in the show is that Homer is terrible at his job and basically does nothing. But I assume in the real world, nuclear safety techs, I certainly hope, are not like snoozing on the job and just eating donuts all day. So it's possible that if in the future Homer's job can be fully automated, you would need to have a super advanced degree to be the person who comes in and fixes the robot when the robot breaks down, right? That is the only kind of human job that would be necessary for that uh, role. That sounds bogus to me, right? I mean, we have automation today. There's been advancements in AI that exists. There's all kinds of machinery that has reduced the requirements of people on assembly lines. And the folks who work on those don't need PhDs. You need mechanics. You need people who are problem solvers or critical thinkers who can get there and do it programmers are going to be a big part of that. You don't have to have a PhD to do any of that stuff. That's nonsense. I tend to agree with you. I think this is hyperbole. Also, it's like, yes, exactly. It's just like (laughs) the artist's license. It rhymed and it sounded good. So they threw it in. 
But I do think it's hyperbole for sure. That's exaggerated. It's not going to require a full-blown PhD to be the guy who comes in and fixes the robots. I also think our society has taken a step in the wrong direction and that we use a baseline of education as a filter for darn near every job. And there are so many roles in society where we're asking people to go get education that is pretty purposeless for their ability to to execute the role that we want them to perform. And that that's probably a little bit about what Lisa is talking and referring to as well. Yeah, that's true. And I, I do think it's not accurate to say that all middle-class jobs are just going to completely disappear either by getting automated away or requiring more and more education to fill those roles. We watched a, a brief documentary the other day about how a lot of employers are catching wise to the fact that the cost of education has just gone through the roof and kids don't want to pay that anymore and end up in a mountain of student debt. So they're trying to be creative and come up with other ways to filter out the people who they think will be good candidates. The Google Career Certificate Program, I think, is already starting to disrupt some of the, the education requirements and people are paying, I think it's what, like 30, 40 bucks to get a, a Google career certificate, at least some of them, that's what they're advertised as. And then you can do pretty decent jobs with those things. So it's, it's not as bleak as the Simpsons is making it seem. Yeah, I think there will be innovators in the marketplace and businesses who are able to reap the rewards of thinking creatively about how to qualify potential candidates for roles. I did a little digging on the Bureau of Labor Statistics page, which, by the way, is just fascinating. You can type in any job and get back like the average income, what the outlook for that career is going to be like, what the requirements are to get into that field. It's really, really interesting, and I recommend it to anybody to go tinker around with. So I was going to just throw a few examples at you of what I would consider to be middle-class jobs. And the fact that I don't see these going away and the Bureau of Labor agrees with me. So let's just run through a couple of examples. So nursing, the average income for a nurse is $77,000 a year. That's pretty solid. That's like upper middle class, right? And the projected job growth for that, what would your guess be? For nurses? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's got to be going up. Think about all the obesity in this country. Man, we don't do anything healthy. That's crazy. If only you didn't eat so much fast food. Well, I want to contribute to the economy. Right. I want to make sure that there's jobs for nurses for mm -hmm. a long time. Doing your part. Uh-huh. I'm going to guess, yeah, it's expected to grow by 15% over the next decade. So that's a little high. They're predicting about 9 or 10%. Okay. But still, pretty solid job growth. Like, if you want to go into the nursing profession, I think you can feel confident that you're going to have some job offers. Feels feels pretty safe. Uh, what about a plumber? What do you think the average salary for a plumber is? A plumber that owns their own company or a plumber that works for somebody else? The latter. Okay. Mm, gosh, I really am not calibrated to this in the slightest. I don't know anyone who is a plumber, and so I can't really think about the way that they live. I'm going to guess... $55,000 a year. Very close. It's sixty. Okay. Yeah. It, that feels low to me. We just had a plumber come to the house and it felt like we paid an arm and a leg for that shit. So <laughs> feels, it feels kind of low, but I guess, you know, it's all of the costs and the company takes a cut and 
blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you forget too. A lot of there's a lot of plumbers who, if they own their own company, they're going to do a lot better than that. Right? Oh You'll yeah, do very no, well. that's true. Yeah. Um, but you also have to deal with the fact that there's underutilization, right? There's downtimes where you can't go somewhere. There's a whole bunch of expenses like from the from a truck and all the materials that you have to have. It's not trivial. No, it makes sense. Based on how long it took them to get here, it felt like they were pretty well utilized. But again, just one incident. <laughs> so uh, the plumbing profession is expected to grow about 5%. So it's not going gangbusters, but it's definitely not going anywhere. Um, let's see, truck drivers. This is an interesting one. What's your guess at their average salary? Oh, gosh. Uh, long haul, short haul? What are, what are you talking about here? I'm just, I'm saying words that sound like they go with the truck driver. I have no idea. It's literally just called truck driver. Okay. Um, $35,000 a year? Forty-eight. Wow. That's more than I would have guessed. Yeah. I would have, um, it is not a trivial job to perform, but I would have guessed it would have fallen more in the less skilled labor category, um, because it doesn't seem like you'd need substantial training, but what do I know? There's probably a lot of maintenance work that's required, a whole lot of safety things that, that require careful focus and attention. I think they're also just compensating you for the fact that you have to be on the road so much, right? Not everybody wants to do that. You want you have to be away from your family, your friends, your hometown. It's not an easy thing to do. Well, surely the truck driving profession is one where BLS thinks we're going to use fewer of them over time. So I was really surprised at this. They are projecting at least through the year 2030 to see a 6% increase in the truck driving profession. I have to imagine at some point it is going to fall off the cliff, much in the way of like horse and buggies as we move into automatic driving vehicles. Well, maybe the BLS is uh, paying more attention than we are and realizes how far away we are from truly autonomous driving, yeah. especially for like big rig trucks or something like that. Yeah, it's a bummer, but I guess that's where we are, at least for today. So, okay, just a couple more. This one's fun. Solar panel installer. What do you think? Solar panel installer. Growth of 8%? 52%. Are you serious? Uh-huh. That just warms my heart. I feel like that is proof that we are, like, it is, the future is coming. We are moving towards solar. That makes me very happy. Wow. I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me that there's growth, but that much growth does surprise me. I, I would sort of think that the places where solar is effective, you know, it makes a lot of financial sense to do. And there's already a lot of people doing that today. And that we might move to more of a battery installer than a solar installer over the next decade. Well, I did not look up battery installers because I didn't know that was a thing. But Well, it really, it's just an an electrician, right? Yeah, I suppose it's true. Which I did look up, actually. They're expected to have 9% growth and make $60,000 a year. There you go. There you go. But yeah, the solar panels are apparently expected to just go crazy. I mean, that makes sense. Like We live in sunny Colorado. We have 300 days of sunshine a year. And I can count on two fingers. <laughs> we have What do we have, like two friends who have solar panels? We do, but yeah. at, the, at the same time, there's a lot of the financials don't make perfect sense here. It, it's not as optimal as you think. If you're going to hire out to get the work done, the payback is really a long time. Uh, I suppose that's true. But again, maybe they're expecting that to change. So that's a, a good sign. And then here's one in the other direction. Cashiers who make just $27,000 a year. So like 
not even technically middle class, they are expected to see a 10% decrease in their demand. So I think that is clearly recognizing the fact that those jobs are getting automated away. Yeah, that makes sense to me. There's plenty of places where you can uh, order stuff online and you don't need to speak to a human. Yeah, but I mean, the whole narrative of this TV show episode is that Bart is just screwed. There's no way he's going to find like a decent middle-class job without getting gobs and gobs of education that'll put him deep into debt. I just don't feel like that's true. There are a lot of really, really solid upper even, upper middle-class jobs that we just looked at that are projected to have pretty solid growth going forward. So it doesn't seem quite as doom and gloom as The Simpsons makes it seem. Yeah, I think you're right. There's there's room for hope. I think Bart will find a way to pull it off. So not as doom and gloom, but on the other hand, Lisa also makes this comment about you're going to pinch every dollar and cent and still have to choose between healthcare and rent. And that doesn't feel terribly unrealistic to me because both of those costs have gone up a lot. They have ballooned a teeny bit. Mm-hmm. So this year alone, in 2022, most rents across America have gone up by 15%, which is astronomical. In some parts of the country, it's gone up by like 40% or even more than that. In the last year? Mm-hmm. In Florida, there's been like a crazy boom in the renting market. Lots of different coastal cities in Florida have seen a 40% increase in their rents. Do you think this is a function of more remote work and people choosing where they want to be or what's going on? I have to assume that that's a huge part of what's going on. We're still seeing this shift to remote work that's happened as a result of COVID and people are just wanting to move where they want to move. There's just, there's too few places to live and there's too many people wanting to rent. So the supply and demand is kind of out of whack and it's causing the prices to go through the roof. Healthcare has also gotten very expensive. I mean, it's always been expensive in this country. So the average amount that an individual person who pays out of pocket, not through an employer, but out of pocket for their own healthcare is $477 a month for an average, seemingly healthy 40-year-old person. That's for the premiums for health insurance or the total cost of an annual person's worth of healthcare. Nope, just the premiums. Just okay. the premiums. So before they need to see a physician. Mm-hmm. That is for one person. So a couple is going to be paying double. Family of three or four, you're talking triple or quadruple. Kids can be a little less expensive. There are some state programs that will help cut down on those costs, depending on where you live. But that is the national average. So that's quite the pretty penny. And I, I mean... There are people in this country who are having to choose between healthcare and rent. They're looking at skyrocketing rents. They're looking at really hefty prices for their healthcare premiums and saying, you know what? I got to have a roof over my head. I'm going to gamble on whether or not I get sick and just hope for the best. Wow. That's just a, it's a total bummer. Uh, It's crazy, right? You you said that Lisa's a little bit wrong about the lack of middle-class jobs, but it sounds like those jobs may not quite provide enough income to pay for a place to live and a way to a way to be healthy. Do you have any data on bankruptcies, medical-related bankruptcies in the U.S.? Because I think that's one way to sort of characterize just how bad things are. A full 62% of bankruptcies filed in the United States 
are tied in some way to medical care costs. That's a lot. That's a heck of a lot. Now, it's debatable how direct of a result of those medical costs somebody's bankruptcy was, but the fact remains it's contributing to a lot of people's financial disasters. Wow, that's crazy. All right, we should jump to our final clip where Bart has some ideas for what he's going to do if this nuclear safety job doesn't work out. Because there's a lot of new ways a guy can make a dollar. I'll ride the money train, make it rain, holla. I'll buy and sell Bitcoin, build a new app, do pranks on YouTube. I'm great at that crap. Film TikTok tricks on my sick motorbike. Your chances are slim. Go to hell, Ronald Wright. Those aren't careers. They're a million to one. You ain't that lucky and you ain't smart, son. Who gives a damn? I'll find my new jam as an influencer on Instagram. got it all figured out i mean what else is there to say he's gonna be good are you sure like I, i'll need to start watching it if it's this kind of musical thing every episode <laughs> you sure it's not what this is yes i'm sure oh, what a bummer no i thought that was great really funny well-written stuff i totally agree but the content is kind of debatable right there's bart saying like it's gonna be fine i'll just start an app i'll be like a youtube prankster and then you've got the sensible voice coming in and saying Son, you can't count on that. So I very much agree. It is possible, and I would encourage anybody, especially a kid, to give it a shot, you know, like start your own unboxing channel or start pulling (laughs) pranks on people and recording, you know, friendly pranks, nothing crazy, but start doing whatever it is, doing some crazy stunts, as long as you're not hurting yourself. Just give it a go and see if you can strike gold. You know, why not? The cost to entry for these kinds of things is extremely low. So I would encourage anyone to give it a go, but I would also simultaneously be very, very cautious about relying on those things taking off because it is a total crapshoot. There's a lot of luck involved, no matter how good you are. So they rattle off a ton of different professions in this clip. Let's pick some of them and see if Bart has a real chance at being successful. So he mentions that he wants to be a successful YouTuber, right? Doing YouTube pranks. 0.25% of YouTube channels are like have gotten successful enough to where YouTube will even give them a shot at making money. Yeah, there's 31 million YouTube channels and 80,000 of them have the required 1,000 subscribers in order to be eligible for monetization. Right. So 0.25% of YouTube channels have the ability to make a penny yep. through traditional YouTube advertising. Right. And even if you're in that 0.25%, you're probably like on the low end, you're making like a few dollars a month, right? So you've got to really, really be at the top of the top of the top to get a significant income coming out of YouTube. It's really hard to do. So Bart thinks he's going to become a crypto zillionaire, right? That that should work out for him, right? It's, oh, yeah. Crypto is a guaranteed done deal. No problem. Although it does seem like he's missing a key ingredient to being a crypto zillionaire. And that's some money to buy crypto with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like he wants to walk into the casino empty handed and, and leave a winner. Yeah, because as best we can tell, he's got no startup capital to invest with. 
it's even if you do crypto is such a long shot i mean you're probably looking at roughly the same odds of making it on youtube as to whether any particular coin that you're buying is going to go gangbusters and make you rich so not a great secure pathway to wealth there are lots of bitcoin billionaires and millionaires out there in the world today but your odds of being one of them are super super small okay well, one of his last suggestions was getting on OnlyFans. And I know there was a bunch of hubbub when OnlyFans was thinking about cleaning up their content and making it more of a family-friendly site. Um, but since they had such a backlash from that and they are sticking to what they know, surely people can be pretty successful there. So I felt too like this is kind of a last resort for people that's you know, something that can reliably bring dollars in the door, right? People like seeing naked bodies. And if you've got a naked body and you're willing to put it out on the internet, surely some money will roll in the door for that. I was very surprised. I think that was a very naive position for me to take because there's so much free porn on the internet now, right? So as a result of that, most people on OnlyFans are making zero dollars. So the stats on that, do you want to rattle them off? Yeah, I think we read that the average OnlyFans performer, artist, whatever you want to call them, makes $180 a month. Yep. But that's a little bit skewed, right? It is skewed. A full one-third of the revenue is going to the top 1% of earners. And who are they? So there's a lady, I think her name is Gem101, and she How, how do we spell this? <laughs> Stop it. She is the top person on OnlyFans. And she makes $29.4 million a year. Does she do like arts and crafts videos or what's her thing? Uh, yeah, she makes paper mache. Okay. I'm, I, was, I assume she's just, you know, shaking it for everybody to see. I don't know what makes one person more wildly popular on OnlyFans than another. Never been on the site. But whatever people like, she's got it. So. Can you guys Google this and tell us the, the story in the comments? Uh, I'm really afraid for what's going to happen now, but okay. So only feel, I feel like not much of a backup plan anymore, guys. Like it's not going to even cover your grocery bill. Probably. That's too bad. He talked about possibly being an Instagram influencer. Do you remember that time when we were in Dallas and we started walking down the Katy trail and there was a group of people taking pictures of themselves and I just did not understand what was going on. This is before I got on Instagram at all. And I just, I was so confused. Yep, it is. Well, we encountered it a lot when we were in national parks, where we took a big trip in 2019, we went through a lot of national parks. And, you know, you just want to like enjoy the grandeur and you have these people having literal photo shoots trying to get the perfect Instagram shot. It definitely puts a damper on your day. It's kind of a bummer. Well, so now that I have used Instagram, I don't understand how influencers make money. This is not like YouTube where you can have a ton of followers and get advertising that revenue is paid to you. There's, I don't believe there's a model for that on Instagram, right? Meta is not going to pay you for your posts. Yeah. So it is really difficult to make money as an Instagram influencer. If you have under 10,000 followers, you can maybe make somewhere in the range of $88 per post. And I have to imagine that there's some limit on how many of these posts you can do. 
right? Like So that's like a private relationship with a sponsor, basically? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're posting an advertisement every day and that's all you post, who, who cares? Who's going to watch that? Yeah. So I think these influencers have to find a balance between posting original content that keeps people interested in coming back and then hawking goods. So that's got to be, I mean, it, for one thing, it just sounds hard. It sounds really, really difficult, but it also isn't going to pay you that well. So if you get into like a million or more followers, then you can start to earn something like $600 per post. So that's getting pretty solid, but that's a heck of a lot of Instagram followers to have. And again, you're still going to be facing that same battle of balancing, you know, keeping people interested and thinking that you're someone worth following and then shoving goods in their face at the same time. Yeah, I was going to say, I I mean, you're probably already famous if you have a million people that are following you and you may have enough income from whatever allows you to get to a million people following behind you. If you have, you know, tens or even a hundred thousand subscribers or followers, whatever the term is, are they even really paying you in money? Are you just getting paid in the form of like a new pair of pants or a fancy meal somewhere? No, I think that's very common. It's hard to get actual dollars out of people. I mean, and it happens, it does happen. But I think a lot of times these companies that are wanting to set up a partnership or a sponsorship relationship with you, they are trying to do it by giving you their stuff, which, you know, can be nice if you like and need the stuff. But you cannot go to the grocery store and buy food for you and your family with like a nice pair of jeans, right? You're going to have to turn around and sell that and then it's going to be used and it's going to, you're going to have like a decrease in the value of it. So straight up dollars are the way to go and that's not always easy to get. Well, don't forget to report your new jeans on your income taxes as well. That's true. That counts as income. (laughs) So it sounds like Bart's plans... Maybe should stick to the nuclear safety guy. Yeah, I mean, that job is on the decline, so he might want to redirect his his thought process. But, I mean, he could be a solar panel installer. They make a little less than a nuclear safety tech, but he's almost guaranteed a job, according to the Bureau of Labor. I mean, it seems like a good way to go for him. I think that would work out okay. He probably needs to figure out something with that hairdo so that he can find a, a safety helmet to, to properly fit. Yeah, maybe they make some safety helmets with spike shapes. Good call. Uh-huh. Well, it's a heck of an episode. There's a lot going on in there. It's only like 20 minutes. I mean, these Simpsons episodes are short, so give it a watch. It's pretty fun. The rest of that musical number that we didn't play for you guys is good stuff. Yeah, maybe I'll have to check out other episodes. Yeah, maybe you will. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Take care.